Today's episode of Grad School Confessional is brought to you by Goldilocks and the Three Bears. I'm sure you're familiar with the story. No? Then allow me to regale you with a tale. Once upon a time, there was a prospective grad student named Goldilocks. She was looking for a supervisor who she could work with to get her PhD in porridge thermodynamics. Her first supervisor was Papa Bear. He was an experienced supervisor, but was also very set in his ways and didn't have the urgency or motivation to find opportunities for his grad students or even meet with them. Her next supervisor was Mama Bear. She was very productive and well known in the field of porridge thermodynamics, but she had unrealistic expectations for her grad students and made them work evenings and weekends and still told them they weren't working hard enough. Finally, Goldilocks met Baby Bear a new faculty who didn't have a lot of experience yet. However, Baby Bear was receptive to Goldilocks' goals and worked to find her opportunities and support her while respecting her boundaries. And they both benefited tremendously from each other's work. The end. You're listening to Grad School Confessional, a podcast that explores the good, bad, and ugly of graduate school directly from graduate students themselves. I'm your host, Dr. Yoasway. From awkward supervisor interactions to reviewer two horror stories to convincing your parents why grad school was a good idea, we read out the confessions of graduate students from all over and chat about the realities of pursuing higher education. I'd like to welcome back my co-host and co-supervisor to our dogs, Anna. Anna is a PhD candidate studying digital health, a field where researchers ask, are the number of bars of Wi-Fi you have positively associated with your health? Sort of. More bars of Wi-Fi are associated with less stress, but more bars of Wi-Fi are also associated with more time spent watching TikToks of 14-year-olds being way better than you at pretty much everything. So it kind of balances out. There's no way a 14-year-old is better at research than I am. Well, actually, no, I take it back. There's definitely some high school kid out there that's got like 30 publications already. Almost certainly. Well, that's disappointing. But not as disappointing as the supervisors in today's confessions. Our original episode on supervisor struggles was actually quite popular, and the majority of confessions we get are typically related to supervisors in some way. I think it really speaks to how integral the role of a supervisor is to the grad school experience. But before we get into these confessions, perhaps it would be best to contrast the stories to come with some of the things that our supervisors have done in the past that we found to be really supportive or helpful. You know, just in case they're listening. (laughs) So what's an example of a thing that your supervisor or have done in the past that you really appreciate? Two things. Okay. My supervisor has left me alone. (laughs) She has also given me booze. Huh. I think we're, I think this is telling a lot of, I think if you listen to all the episodes kind of in like close succession, you paint this picture of you that's of like, my life that yeah. is in shambles, that, that would be correct. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think for me, you know, obviously giving me the space and the autonomy to kind of want to do my own project. I know a lot of graduate students are kind of handed a project, especially as a master's. And well, you know, you're grateful for not having to, I suppose, put together a research program. It doesn't always leave you as feeling as invested or maybe your master's experience doesn't feel as like enriching as it could have been versus like you know having the liberty to do a project that you really wanted to do I think is really cool so I did appreciate that yeah I had the same experience I was really pushed to 
develop my own research question and really uh, position my project in the way that I felt was appropriate rather than feel that my supervisor was in. Mm-hmm. So the work that she does and the work that I do are kind of quite different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it works. And I think you develop an appreciation for each other's work because of it, you know? Yeah, of course. It helps that my supervisor is like ridiculously smart. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, she's so smart. She's also like really, really cool. I hear. <laughs> Kids are listening. <laughs> um, what's something that they've done that you found to be really helpful? I think that my doctoral supervisor is the first academic to really take the time and provide extensive feedback on my writing, mm-hmm. and it's been transformative, mm-hmm. like for my writing, but also for what I expect feedback to be and then also like two days ago i marked somebody's abstract because they were like hey can you look at this (laughs) (laughs) oh i remember that (laughs) and i went through it and i was like i thought you were painting with the color red (laughs) haha it's like wow i became my supervisor (laughs) (laughs) actually it leads me into my sort of a question that i was thinking about is that if you were a supervisor what would you want to do for your students and you kind of already mentioned that like you'd want to give them this extensive feedback which i can appreciate Um, but is there like anything else that you think is just as a supervisor, if you were to be in that position, you'd want to extend to your students? Yeah. I've always been jealous how you have had this really social lab environment. Mm -hmm. And I never really got to do that because all of my supervisor students are doing research that doesn't really mesh well together. Um, and we all get along, but we've never had even like a physical space where we could all like work together in simultaneously. Mm -hmm. So I think if I were ever to supervise students, that's what I would like to kind of foster that lab environment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. I think building off that, if I was a supervisor too, one of the things I would really try and do is kind of check in with my students often. And I don't just mean in terms of their work, like, Hey, are you still making progress? And like, what are you doing for me? I would mean more like knowing that they are people, but they're also like, trainees like as much as a lot of universities hire quote unquote their grad students to be employees they are still trainees and kind of checking in with them and making sure that they're like not feeling overwhelmed with one aspect in particular or that they're like kind of handling the the course load and the sort of learning curve of grad school okay because i know it's just like so different than your undergrad and if you didn't do an undergrad thesis it's the first time you're learning about so much of this stuff like the entire research process is oftentimes new for people. Um, so that's what I think what I would want to do. No, you'd be a good supervisor. Oh, thanks, babe. Most days. Hmm. <laughs> Balance training. Balance. <laughs> <laughs> With that in mind, I think it would be a good idea to go over some of the red flags that get brought up in these upcoming stories in case you, dear listener, ever find yourself in the midst of a similar supervisory relationship, aka one that's like not very good. Our first grad student writes, When my supervisor initially took me on as a student, they had no funded projects for me, but I was told that they would apply for funding for one of the projects we initially discussed, and he had a bit of money for a second, smaller project. It was a bit weird, but they were a new professor, and I trusted that I would eventually get involved in stuff, even if the project we originally discussed wouldn't get funded. When I started, my first task was to conduct a mini-review, which I had to complete within the first four weeks of starting the program. No other supervisor I know has ever asked to have a review completed in such a short period of time, but I thought that was, again, because they were new and didn't know any better. But as time went on, 
more and more strange things started happening. They would discuss scholarships and potential project ideas with their other student while I was in the same room, but none of this with me. It also didn't help that I didn't speak the local language, so it was easy to be left out of conversations. The other student needed to learn a method, side project for them. The other student needed to learn a different method, another project for them. My supervisor pieced together five to six different side projects within the first year of starting just so that this other student could have good training and understanding of what was going on. Somehow, no side projects ever related to anything I did. The methods we used in the lab, I was referred to manuals online, told to try through trial and error, and even asked to work outside office hours to make sure that the other student has the equipment when they need it, because they got involved with all the active projects and I didn't. They also didn't provide me with access to the laboratory where I had to collect the samples from, saying that this had nothing to do with my thesis, so therefore it doesn't need to get done right away. I sometimes would wait 20 to 30 minutes for someone to open the door. In the meantime, they somehow never found the time to submit the grant for our discussed project. From the beginning, we wrote ethics for the other smaller project, but because this project wasn't funded externally, money came from one of their starting grants, it was very clear that they never prioritized anything relating to it. Eventually, a year and a half of me complaining that the research wasn't moving anywhere and that the training they're providing me with is crap because I don't have access to the resources available to others, they sat me down in their office, told me that I have to leave their lab or they would file a formal complaint against me that will go on my official transcript. I had no choice but to leave. Wow, so many red flags in this story. Huh, yeah. this sounds interesting. Yeah, like, I mean, first red flag is clearly kind of being neglected by your supervisor. It's, it's bad that, um, you know, they're obviously giving preferential treatment or opportunities to one student over the other. And it sounds to me like it's a language thing, but then even so, it's also like a funding thing, right? But then also, why did you take a person that you were going to provide with subpar training and also not have them be on more projects. Mm -hmm. Like, why did you need to create an illusion that there are people in your lab? Yeah, exactly. And to me, it's like, this is somebody who runs a lab and doesn't see their trainees as being like people. They're just papers. They're like, what can you do for me? What can you, how can you be productive for me? And it's bad because these people obviously need to have their own they have their own careers in mind and they have their own aspirations in mind. And you're kind of just like, you're like, yeah, I don't, I don't feel like it. I had like a similar thing in my master's where I brought up, I brought up a thing that like my supervisors, cause I was co-supervised, didn't teach me. And <laughs> I was like, Hey, you didn't teach me this thing. And they were like, Hey, we can also kick you out of the program. I was like, yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> Copy that. Hear you loud and clear. <laughs> All right. Self-directed learning. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I didn't know that. Like, I mean, I knew the, the premise of it, but when you put it like that, it does sound pretty bad. But that was, but that was like the bare bones of the conversation. Oh man. That's I was so like, Hey, you never taught me this thing that you're expecting me to know it. And they're like, Hey, we can make you leave. Yeah. We can make you disappear. Yeah. It's like, you're, you're kind of being a little bit chatty right now. I'm not yeah. really sure how I like this. Yeah. You're going to need to get way off my back on this. <laughs> All my responsibility as a supervisor. Yeah. I mean, that's what it is, right? One of the things that strikes me as being um, tragically funny about this story is the fact that they needed access to this one lab and they obviously weren't given it. So they literally just had to wait in front of the door until someone came by. And it sounds like such like a... 
like a, please, anyone open this door for me. I really hope that it was in a hallway and not like going outside yeah. the building. Oh, yeah. Because then you're like standing in the rain like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know why they wouldn't give them access to this place, right? And like, or even tell them, hey, the other student needs our, our stuff. You can't be here. <laughs> I mean, one of the things I always tell people when they're considering graduate school and when they're considering a specific supervisor is to go and talk to the students that have that supervisor, this wouldn't work here because mm-hmm. it feels like everybody else is having this like completely different experience. Yeah. And this one person is like, how dare you have the audacity to complain? <laughs> it's just being gaslit. Yeah. And you know what, too? I think you raised such a good point. It's like, don't just talk to the most successful people in the lab. Like, talk to everybody in the lab. Get to know what they're doing and how they feel about this person. Because, you know, we know people who are in bigger labs and you know they talk about other people in the lab who are being given these opportunities and are working on projects when they themselves are not being given that same stuff so i definitely hear where this person's coming from right it's 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 like saying it's just research right just take a bigger sample kind of know what you're after here our next confession is sort of the opposite of our last one it's one thing to provide your students with opportunities but it's another to take advantage of their time and inexperience for your own benefit. This grad student writes, I was in a lab that was problematic from the beginning, but the supervisor's behavior became more erratic and toxic over time. She showed little empathy, patience, willingness to compromise, and constantly overstepped boundaries. I was called and emailed and texted at all hours, expecting an immediate response, even at 1 a.m. urging a 9 a.m. deadline. Students were constantly scrambling because the PI gave feedback to documents, expected revisions, with submission deadlines within 30 minutes. She asked students to do menial tasks, such as looking for her lost personal items, washing her dishes, taking out her recycling, checking her mail, saying it was all under the training umbrella of our contract. Any vacations we wanted were a gift, because it was also not in our contract. And the section that said weekends and evenings as needed were constantly needed, though unnecessary. We were constantly walking on eggshells. She was confused that we were stressed, saying that we needed to become more adaptive to be successful. During the pandemic, she said it was a hoax and urged students to collect human data using loopholes and ridiculed us for believing the news, masking, and wanting to be vaccinated. When we showed strain, she said the pandemic had allowed her to be more productive than ever and we should follow suit. The last line she crossed with me were when she went behind my back to cut my salary 20% and I had to fight it with admin and ultimately got to keep it as only after showing a screenshot of the original email offer directly from her. She made me feel guilty, saying it took money from lab funds even though students were constantly having to pay out of pocket for lab expenses, saying it was expected in graduate school. I was also self-funded, so she paid me very little when the scholarships were subtracted. My disillusionment led me to losing the last shred of respect I had for her, and I realized my training had progressed very little beyond my own abilities to self-learn in a completely new field to me. I finally reached out to an outside faculty member to ask advice on what I could do to improve my training. After meeting with the department chair, I made a short list of PIs whose work I was interested in. After interviews, I realized I was indeed capable of clearly communicating calmly and wasn't as quote-unquote slow and stupid as my PI regularly expressed in lab meetings. In my new lab, I make sure to constructively and calmly voice concerns 
and have been received with acceptance and understanding. I've learned so much in this short time than I did in the two plus years I have with my old supervisor and have become excited about research again. This type of leadership inspires students to go above and beyond training milestones. And I wish more mentors knew this because it's probably also more efficient and effective than ridiculing and bullying day in and out. Man, there are so many red flags with this story. My primary takeaway point is like, never let your PI know where you live. <laughs> That's red flag number one. If they know where you live and you have their stuff, it's like, nah. No, definitely not. No, but for real, this entire story is like some weird ass Beauty and the Beast stuff. Like, what do you mean you need to do her dishes? Oh, yeah. I totally forgot about that. It's a long story. But at the beginning, like, doing the dishes, taking out the recycling, like... Like, recycling... Okay, I need I need specifications. Like, recycling from her home or from the lab? Yeah, because, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if it was both in this case, right? Like, eating your lunch, throwing your dishes in the sink and be like, go, training. <laughs> training. <laughs> Oh, man. It'll teach you attention to detail. Okay, speaking of attention to detail, though, if in your contract, anywhere, not just for crafts, but like anywhere, it says weekends and evenings as needed, that means weekends and evenings. Will all happen. The, all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Like, but also, like, I don't know, I think this opens up a broader conversation because graduate students, at least where we are, are actually not entitled to, like, any vacation days. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, nowhere does it say that you get two weeks vacation or anything like that. And so I know that for a lot of students, that means, hey, you can go on vacation whenever you want to. Mm-hmm. And for other students, that means you're going to be feeding your rats on New Year's Day. Mm-hmm. Or like you're like not going on vacation. Or, or I can email you at any time and you are going to like get back to me. And I think that's a huge red flag is like if your supervisor or your advisor, they don't respect the boundaries of like, hey, you know, I have uh, some kind of commitment. You, you, you don't even need a reason. I'm going to scratch that. You don't need a reason. There is a law passed in Ontario right now, which says that employers cannot email their employees after hours. All of Germany has this law. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's kind of just like you have to be able to separate your personal life from your, your, you know, academic life. Um, and some people, you know, they choose not to like for, I know for us, we kind of just like, we work very hard, but we work in between doing something sometimes. Right. Yes. But that's our choice. And that's, it feels less stressful in a way because we decide when it happens. Don't listen to him. He's lying. It feels just (laughs) as stressful. You just get to like go climbing in between the stress. It's just as stressful. Okay, fine. But no, but worse, is that really less or more stressful the same stress as like being told hey you need to work all the time and i'm gonna like call on you at any time like i think that's worse also the fact that this person thought that COVID 19 was a hoax what the heck okay here you go uh major red flag if your future pi is a covid denier um maybe don't work in that lab (laughs) yeah yeah right like yeah collect human data it's fine covid isn't even a thing (laughs) masks masks you don't need a mask. Oh my gosh, that's it's not a good sign. It's not a good sign. Ugh. I know a lot of I know a lot of supervisors who are very busy and they, they make themselves busy and that's kind of the thing. But I think a good sign is like they don't expect their grad students to work as hard as them. They're definitely not going to 
discourage it, I guess, in a way. And like, I guess what I'm saying is they'll help facilitate those opportunities. They won't be the person to kind of hold the, the grad student back, but it's not as if they're like, okay, now you got to do this. Now you got to do this. Now you got to do this. Like, I think that that is very, I think that's how some labs operate and some PIs are very productive, quote unquote, but it's not mm-hmm. sustainable for your grad students. Yeah. I mean, look at the turnover rate at the labs where you want to work. Mm-hmm. That's actually a really good point. That's a really good point. If people are leaving within one or two years, maybe there's a reason for that. Maybe the reason is that the PI is terrible. Mm-hmm. Right. And like, you kind of get at that too, with the thing we mentioned before, where you kind of like talk to the students, but then also like, if people aren't finishing their PhDs, if people aren't finishing their masters, like that's a sign, that's a definite red flag. Oh, people not finishing. Ah, oh, I've heard <laughs> stories of people dropping out of their PhD in their fourth year. Dude, I've heard worse. I've heard like sixth, seventh year where like you're after your funding and you're just like, nah, I got it. Like I got to get out. That's terrible. It is. But at the same time, I feel like dropping out of your grad degree is a bit like divorce. It's always a good thing. Yeah, like it's a sad thing, but at the same time, is it better to drop out or, or get divorced here in this example, or is it better to stay in a sort of relationship um, or situation that's like very toxic and like not good for you? And so while, yeah, we look at people dropping out and they're like, oh man, that sucks that you had to drop out. Like, it's also kind of a good thing that they managed to maybe get out of a situation that wasn't working for them. Yeah, but like at the end of a doctorate, you get a doctorate. At the end of a marriage, what do you get? You die. So like, <laughs> oh man, I'm. Oh no, are you, is this a threat? Are you threatening me? No, but like, even if you have a successful marriage, you both die at the end. Like, there's no other option. Uh, I'm pretty sure the game of life ends with you retiring. So maybe and, I think. <laughs> and then you die. No, I never get that far in the game. Hmm. hmm. That's anyway. You get that far in life. <laughs> Our last confession combines the neglect of the first story with the pressure of the second. Oh, goody. Our grad student writes, I survived a toxic PI, but I'll never be the same. Near the end of my graduate education, I accepted a postdoc position with an extremely well-known researcher that I barely knew to work on a highly ambitious but very exciting interdisciplinary project. Over the next few months, I worked hard to finish my PhD so I could start on the agreed-upon date stepping up my previously anticipated defense timeline by seven months, during which time several friends and colleagues of friends approached me to warn me about the researcher, including several of his former students. I tried to keep an open mind as we started to work together, but the longer I spent with him, the less I trusted him, and the more my confidence in myself, the project, and him began to erode. First, there were the unfulfilled promises, access to tools and resources and support that despite being vital and necessary, the supposedly funded part of the project never materialized. The undergrads, who were supposed to be sent out into the field to help me with my fieldwork and later data collection and analysis, never materialized. With each new purchase that did go through came the inevitable email crying, we can't afford to spend money on that. However, when I finally asked him to show me the actual budget so I would be better prepared to make decisions about spending, I was stonewalled. When my contract renewed after the first full year of funding, I noticed that the end date was not what we had discussed originally. In the following weeks, I repeatedly reminded him of his promise to discuss with the funding agency whether we could extend funding for the full two years. By that point, it was extremely late in the year's grant cycle, 
and he finally told me that the end date was firm. In the end, I reached out to several other prospective mentors about my next steps and eventually handed the reins on my former project back to him. I wound up in an incredible cutting edge lab with an extremely supportive PI where I feel valued and appreciated. I've all but given up on getting anything publishable out of that project, despite the fact we have almost two complete manuscripts from my work there. I would never voluntarily work with this person again and look forward to a time when I no longer have any ties to him whatsoever. I was traumatized by this person to the point of crying every day, to the point of doubting myself and my skills, to the point of questioning whether academia really is right for me, and to the point of going back into therapy to try to get myself back on a more even keel. By comparison, every time my new advisor says something supportive or implies I made a good judgment call about something or tells me I'm making great progress, I practically glow. Academia is for me, and I'm so angry that some mediocre dude who made his career on destroying the peace and hopes of others made me feel like it wasn't. Okay, so you know how we say you should reach out to people who have worked with the PI before you go work for them? Okay, when former students of that PI reach out to you in an unsolicited <laughs> way to tell you how terrible it was, that is like a neon red flag. Yeah, like it's like someone's literally taking a pair of glasses that are red and just putting them in front of you and like, look, definitely. And I think too, you can tell, because at, at the point of a postdoc, which is what this is, you really should feel more like a collaborator. And this person kind of gets that at the end with their new lab, but you should really feel like a collaborator with your, your PI, right? Instead of feeling kind of like a lackey. And to me, that's really clear expectations about what you uh, should be doing, like, like the, the things you're promised, so the resources, materials, whatever. And also the fact that you're going to be paid and you're going to be valued through... through And money. And uh, that's what I mean, really. It's, it comes down to <laughs> it's money. money. It's yeah. always money. Yeah, yeah. it's always money. <laughs> um, I think one of the things I really like, though, about uh, you know a couple of these stories is that in two of these instances, the person has reached out to other PIs or they've reached out to seek support from other people within the department and that especially those people have been receptive to helping them. Like, I, I don't think that that's necessarily a universal experience, but certainly if you feel like you are a person in this kind of experience, like reach out to people and, and see if you can have that kind of support lend it to you. I feel like you can totally relate to the whole having like almost complete manuscripts done though, and then just like not doing anything oh, with it. Yes. I did two studies for my master's degree. None of them got published. But somebody keeps downloading my thesis from the repository, <laughs> which makes me think, this could have been of value. <laughs> but I just couldn't bring myself to work with these people anymore because it was so exhausting. Yeah. It was so traumatizing. And it raises a really important point too, where it's like, well, this person is, you know, they've got their lab, they got their whatever. They are not really going to miss these two papers necessarily. As a grad student, those two papers would have been crucial or critical to you potentially getting funding earlier, you know? I don't know. It's early career stuff. It's just super important. Mm -hmm. You can't hold manuscripts hostage. <laughs> Apparently you can. <laughs> I mean, yeah. If you have tenure, yeah, you can yeah. do anything you want. Exactly. And you know what? Actually, you just made me think of this. There should be a criteria on tenure applications where your students have to like fill out something. 
Like actually, a review form? Yeah, yeah, like a review form where it's like, oh, p- students you have worked with actually want to, you know, will actually advocate for you and be like, yeah, this person's a great supervisor. Yeah, no, we actually talked about this because I was like, we should review supervisors. We should be able to review faculty on like how good they are at supervising. Mm-hmm. Kind of like a rate your prof, but instead of just for like the classes they teach, it's like for how they are as as supervisors. But I guess until then, the best I think marker you're going to get, the big takeaway here is talk to the people who have already worked with this person. They're going to be able to like, at least then you'll get it from the people who are working with them. And if they reach out to you unprompted <laughs> and tell you. Definitely avoid. And tell you how awful it was. <laughs> probably run away. 100% avoid. Supervisors will make or break a grad school experience. Being able to draw on their knowledge, resources, and network can be crucial for any young scholar. But equally so can the abuse of power, neglect, and lack of integrity make any grad school experience a nightmare. You've been listening to Grad School Confessional. I'm Dr. Yoasway. Special thanks again to my co-host, Anna. Anna, if your past supervisors made a movie, what genre would it be? You remember the movie 2012? You mean the disaster movie with about like the world coming to an end? Yeah. Whatever genre that whole thing was. <laughs> Is that sci-fi? The science was fiction. <laughs> Wait, that makes me sound bad. Mm, yeah, it does. <laughs> if you enjoyed the show, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes so that others can benefit from our mediocre advice. Please also share us on your social network and follow us on Twitter at GSConfessional. And if you have a confession you'd like to make, please use the anonymous link in the description or email thegradschoolconfessional at gmail.com. We're waiting for your funny, interesting, or controversial confessions. Until next time, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Principal Investigator, Amen. <laughs>